Welcome to the One Desire Podcast, where we're building a nation of true worshippers united in love. Here is a sermon by the Reverend Richard Mwendo. So, I want to welcome all of you uh, to today's sharing of the word. It is happening particularly early, um, and uh, in light of that, I want to assure each and every one of you that if you plug into the spirit of God, then whatsoever that he has placed in my heart and however that we will flow in light of that sharing, we will be able to flow with the spirit of God and his design for today's service. Um, I would like to warn uh, those of us who might be slightly distracted that this is not a sermon that you would want to listen when you're distracted. Uh, this is also not a sermon that you'd like to rely on the recording. So this is a sermon that uh, the Spirit of God would like to communicate to you. It's a word that the Spirit of God would like to communicate to you uh, at a place of complete alertness. So ladies and gentlemen, I pray at this moment that the Spirit of God will keep you alert and will be able to cause you to listen to the language that he is using as he is speaking to you at this very moment. For the Spirit of God does not speak in English, Kiswahili. He does not speak in Kikuyu, German. He speaks through prophecy. And uh, right now we are about to enter into a spiritual space where the Spirit of God is he who conducts everything and every reality within this space. So this is why I am inviting you to that space. In this space, it is important for us to understand one thing. Um, I will be quoting a lot of scriptures. So if you do not quite catch the scripture, uh, you can uh, indicate it on the chat, or alternatively, you can confer with the individuals who have ascribing grace uh, and would have been able to indicate that scripture for the purpose of your reference. Um, the first thing I'd like to say is that as a church, we need to come to the place of understanding that uh, the reality that God has given unto us, all things that pertain to life and godliness, is a reality that is the testimony of infinite fellowship ministries. However, because of our complacency and our lack to of, of, to, to abide to the step and the move of the Spirit of God, we have come to a place where we are not very barren in our approach. So as I was preparing for the word today, I realized that I'm speaking to individuals who are not very much barren. So this might be a bit of a challenge in as far as going forward this year. Uh, part of the words that we received uh, upon the inception of the three years of process is that uh, the word of God might seem familiar, I'm paraphrasing because this is how my spirit caught it. The word of God might seem familiar, but beyond familiarity is a reality of truth that can propel you past your season of process. So it is very critical that we address every root of familiarity that we currently have. Because ladies and gentlemen, allow me to submit to you that when you look at the treasure trove, as Rev. Dan would call it, the treasure trove of uh, prophetic words that we have as a community, 
those words are sufficient to propel you into levels of understanding in as far as the realities of your life are concerned. However, what we lack is a Berean spirit. Our attitude towards uh, living and in uh, specific how we address our spiritual work is on a crisis or on a need to know basis. As long as you have something that is testimony worthy, you find that as a church, we have come down to the place of falling away from the reality of relationship with God. Now, the way that I have seen God work, not only with the men of faith in the Bible, but also the men of faith that have been called within our lineage, men and women of faith within our lineage, I have realized that there is never a dull moment with God because you find that he is always in a state of progression. Now, from where he is staying, his state of progression creates an environment known as eternity, for he inhabits eternity. So if he is continually progressing within the context of his habitation, it therefore means that nothing can ever bound or limit the increase and the progression that he has. So because he is continually progressing, it therefore means that the men and women of God that I've seen not only within the script, within the scriptures, but also within our lineage, they are constantly progressing. I have interrogated men and women of God based on the spirit of God, and I've realized that they are constantly in step with the requirements of God in their seasons. You will never find a man or woman of God established in our lineage where you left them when you last met them. This is if you are not in constant engagement with them. And even if you are in constant engagement with a man or woman of God in our lineage, I want to submit to you that the progression that is in occurrence that is not clear to your eye does not dispute its very existence. We live in a dimension that constantly calls us as believers to imitate Christ, to imitate our leaders as they imitate Christ. So eventually we are imitating Christ. So as we are imitating Christ in his state of progression, there is always a requirement for your growth. And unfortunately, we have not been bereaned sufficiently to grow according to the requirement of the season and of the spirit of God to the church. So the first thing I'd like to submit to us before the sermon is that we need to arise. Your life as a believer, if boring, if it is stagnant, then that is not a life worth living. You need to come to the place of trusting the spirit of God to revitalize you and understand that this is not the reserve of a few. This is possible from wherever you are. This is possible from whatsoever perspective you have, from whatsoever growth level you are at. The Spirit of God is able to get you from wherever you are and cause you to grow to wherever you need to be in light of your season. Now, this is not a thing that a pastor needs to do for you. We come as under shepherds to support the moving and the work of the Spirit of God in your life. However, the focus should be on the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of truth. 
truth. And his purpose over your life is to guide you into all truth. And seeing that he is bonded indelibly with the truth of God, which is the highest form of reality, and the, and the father of light, which is the progressor or the initiator of all truth and light, you find that the spirit of truth, just as he is God, is able to empower you based on who you are and where you are. So victim mentality or orphan mentality will not cut it with this address. You need to arise. When I'm calling you to arise, I am very well aware of your situation. And when I call you to arise, I know that within that dimension, that higher level that you will walk into, you will be able to access all that you need for life and godliness. Ladies and gentlemen, I want us to arise. The other thing I'd like to mention here is uh, spiritual maturity. Uh, you find that we have received quite a lot of truth, truth from the word of God. Now understand that if you do not have the capacity to appropriate this truth in your life, then you lack the capacity to mature from one glory to another, from one spiritual blessing to another. Maturity is what will cause you to access certain levels within your walk. I hope we're together. Maturity is what will cause you to access certain levels within your walk. The things that you do desire to become Please understand that the spirit of truth that guides you into all truth has also given you every raw material you need to become a mature Christian. And that is why the theme of this year centers on the cross of Christ Jesus. The theme of the year centers heavily on the cross of Christ Jesus. Christ crucified. God's power and God's wisdom. And when we say in Philippians chapter 3 that we want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, understand that that desire causes you to constantly redefine your comprehension of death based on how much you have grown. So what death meant to you in 2013 should not mean the same this year. If it does understand that you're not growing. Because from where you prune a tree last year is not where you shall prune it this year. Unless you want to start its growth. So understand that you do, you, there's a desperate need for you to mature. And maturity comes through the cross of Christ. Another thing I'd like to mention as a foundation to the sermon today is Romans chapter 12, verse 2, in the Amplified Classic Edition, is where I will be reading it from. So you can just note it down. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, which is this age, fashioned after and adopted to its external and superficial customs. That is very critical for you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, because when you are being told not to be conformed to this world, it, you're not being told to conform to the earth. I want everyone to mute their microphones. When you're being told to con not to conform to this world, you're not being told not to conform 
to the earth. Because the earth was given as your realm of dominion. However, the world is a set of systems that govern the expression of dominion within an age. So you find that the world, the, the ability to have complete dominion over the world was ceded to Satan with the fall of our first parents. But initially, in as far as the configuration of God was concerned, he designed the world for man's expression. And you find that the world is the earthly manifestation of what we were taught in uh, the series, the prophetic induction of man created in his element of purpose as the second heavens. The reflection of dominion from the second heavens is made manifest on earth as a system known as the world. So whatsoever battle that we have to face must make itself manifest through victory in a systemic degradation of the darkness that the system of this world currently expresses. Now, if your victory has not had any impact in the system of the world, understand that that victory, that, that lack of victory shows that as a church, we are not yet united. Because in as far as the configuration of the second heavens is concerned, it was configured for a corporate man to express dominion. So if the corporate man is disunited or is not united, you find that that level of dominion to make itself manifest in the dimension known as the world is not seen. but be transformed, which is changed by the renewal of your mind. And what is your mind? It is your new ideals and your new attitude. It is your new ideals and your new attitude. You see, by the time the word of God is coming to you, it is diagnosing that the context of your living has been degraded. Understand that by the time the word of God is coming to you, it actually diagnoses and says the context of your living has been degraded. But I want to transform you by transmitting you from your generic terrestrial state to your specific celestial state. And this transmutation has a testimony of new ideals and a new attitude. That's what the scripture says. So that you may prove for yourselves what is the good, I want you to mark that, good, the acceptable, I want you to mark that, acceptable, and the perfect, lastly mark perfect, will of God. Even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. I want you to understand that as believers, when we say you are fulfilling the will of God, there are three levels of the fulfillment of the will of God. There are three bands that characterize the fulfillment of the will of God over your life. The first band is what you call the good will of God. This is the realm of common grace, where it is okay if rain rains on the righteous and it rains also on the, on the wicked where fertility is present on both the wicked and the righteous. Common grace. The realm of the fulfillment of God's goodwill. 
common brace, what it has is it has a configuration that allows for a certain ceiling of every person that submits to that band of the will of God. So if you're at a ceiling of the fulfillment of the will of God, understand that there is no problem with God's will over your life. There's a problem with which band and which grace you're accessing. God's goodwill, it has a ceiling. And then there's a second level, ladies and gentlemen, the level of God's acceptable will. God's acceptable will. God's acceptable will is the realm of moral distinction. You find that in different ages and in different contexts, there have been a progression of moral distinctions within the civilizations of man. Where you find that in a certain nation, you find that that nation expresses low morals. Another nation expresses high morals. A group of people who support a certain ideology have a certain set of morals to support their way of thinking, as opposed to another group of people who have another set of ideologies and another set of morals that support their way of thinking. The realm of morality. This is the realm where God speaks in Job chapter 35 and says that righteousness and sin affects man such as yourself. It's a realm of morality. It's an acceptable will where as long as you're able to back up your context with scriptural contexts, with scriptural backings, then somehow your morality is acceptable. The realm of morality. This is where most believers come. They say this is sufficient. You know what I've described? I've described the outer court and now I'm describing the inner court. This is where most believers rest. They say as long as I'm able to derive a set of morals to back up the reasons as to why I do things, then this is where I shall rest. But God did not call us for the acceptable. I want each and every one of you to recall the vision of this very church that we belong to, to train believers to know and to pursue what? God's perfect will, so as to yield fruit for the kingdom. What this confers is that morality yields fruit for your dominion on earth, but perfect will yields fruit for the kingdom of God. I want us all to trust the spirit of God to understand how to move from the realm of morality to the realm of God's perfect will, the realm of established truth. Because in this realm of established truth, all you do is you have what you call image technology. And image technology is designed for you to ensure that the prayer that prays, oh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is image technology. This is where you go into the realms of the spirit, derive the established truth as it is established in eternity, come and implement and appropriate it within the back end of the system of the world, which is the second heavens. And upon the manifestation of the victory and the establishment of that truth in the second heavens, the system will manifest on earth. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has called us for his perfect will. Another, the last foundation for my sermon 
this morning is Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 15. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 15. I will be reading from the Amplified Classic Edition, Jeremiah 51, verse 15. It says that he made the earth by his power. He established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. I want you to understand that the three things that have been mentioned here are three realms. The three things that have been mentioned here are three realms. There is the realm of the heavens, which is the back end realm. There is the end of the earth, which is the front end realm. And there is the system of the world which is the technology or the wisdom system. You see, heavens has a certain frequency that you might, you must be able to tap into to derive any form of victory. And this is the frequency of understanding. Understanding is the frequency that heavens puts as the minimum of any level of dominion. In the course of the progression of today's sermon, we will be able to understand why I'm telling you so. Of power. Manifestation occurs by power. You know, whenever you think of manifestation, the thing that backs up that manifestation is power. That is why he made the earth by his power. And as he created that realm, he, sec he secluded it and segregated it and consecrated it for the expression of power. And then the world, where he established the world by his wisdom. You cannot prosper in the world without wisdom. And wisdom, as we have been taught, is an application of truth. And you cannot manifest a truth for the purpose of its application without power. So he made the, the earth by his power. He established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. The metric of dominion in heavens is understanding. The metric of dominion on earth is power. And the metric of dominion in the system of the world is wisdom. That is why he implored us to be as innocent as doves, but as shrewd as serpents, because he understood the metric of dominion for the space within which he called you to succeed. When God speaks, he uses the metric of dominion respective to his realm of address. So this is very critical for you to understand because you have to understand that there are certain things that you misunderstand in God because you do not have the metric of dominion needed to understand where he's speaking from and to what place he is addressing. I want you to understand that whatsoever you have misunderstood about your prophetic words, it's because you have not marked the realm of dominion to the metric used in that realm. It is like trying to do engineering with... Um, with the American metric system of yards, of ounces, and etc., in a British system of metrics, there'll be continued confusion. I need you to always understand that a metric 
is designed for its realm of dominion. So that is why it is wisdom for you to seek out God's speech based on where he's speaking from, where he's addressing, and the metric of dominion being used. I want to quote uh, our bishop here. Uh, the beauty of Infinite Fellowship Ministries is because it's a training ground, there's a lot of resources that we get. So you are able to be empowered in the course of your life and your spiritual work to draw from very many sources. So I want to draw from one source here. In his book, Understanding Vision in Light of Purpose, I just want to share a bit of an excerpt here. He says that God's purpose is the visage or the face for the manifestation of his divine nature. Without the divine nature, purpose is void of power and value. Now, that statement has a context which will require an entire commentary to explain. But for the sake of why I have introduced it in today's sermon, this is it. There is a dual seen and unseen technology. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 onwards, you realize that it speaks about what was seen was made by what is unseen. What is visible came about because of a certain back end, which is the invisible realm. So there is a certain introduction of technology. Whenever you hear or you read something uh, or a statement that is loaded with God's word, I want you to always ask yourself, what technology is God using to address? So the technology that I'm able to understand that God is using to speak using these statements is a technology of a dual seen and unseen interplay. You find out that this interplay is between God's nature and the radiance of God's nature, which is his purpose. God's purpose is embedded in God's nature. And when you look at it from a vertical perspective, you find that God's nature is the core, constantly expanding and progressing. Remember what I began with? And as it expands and progresses, it reveals or radiates what is called purpose. And from a horizontal view, you find that God's nature is the back end and purpose is the front end. So you find that purpose is seen as a revelation or a manifestation of God's divine nature. So whenever you are interacting with God's word, you have to ask yourself which technology is being used. Where, what is the philosophical standpoint of God in that very utterance? Without purpose, you have to understand that God's divine nature will remain incomprehensible to the created realm. God inhabits eternity. That is where the attributes of his nature, of his person, and of everything that constitutes him inhabits. And we do not live as of our current existence right now. We do not live in, in eternity. We live on earth. So what God's purpose does is that it creates a context of relationship where his nature can be made manifest to us. Without God's purpose, nothing that was made would be made. So you find that God's purpose is the context within which God was able to come to his creation and engage them on the platform of his son. And that is why Christ is the purpose of God. 
because Christ is the union between creation and his and the, and, and the creator. So purpose becomes the context of relationship between a God that dwells in unapproachable light and his creation that lives within a segment or a context of limitation. I want you to also understand that not all creation understands this simple bit about purpose. That is why many of us are fighting with God's word. Because first and foremost, our ignorance concerning the metric of his speech is already loud enough. We have no idea where God was speaking from and to what he was addressing. Because you find that where God speaks from is not where you hear from. You, you know, when Christ told the disciples, I saw Lucifer or I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. You have to understand that that statement, that observation was made in eternity where all things are established. He's fallen. He's defeated. Everything concerning the enemy is done. But right now we are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that are unbelieving. So what does that mean? It means that the progression of falling is still in occurrence. You have to understand that where God speaks from is not often where you hear from. And unless the spirit of God empowers you, you will not have the capacity to transmit yourself to the realm of his hearing, of his speaking, so that you can hear in that realm. And even when you're transmitted there, understand that you will not hear English. You will hear prophecy. And prophecy is multifaceted based on your configuration. That is why spiritual maturity is critical to the church at this age. Not all creation understands this. Some part of creation attempts to separate God's purpose from his nature. Why do they do this? It's because they want to remain with God's purpose and leave his nature alone. Because whenever God's purpose is connected to his nature, the later fulfillment of his purpose is not a fulfillment of God's purpose. There is always a righteous requirement underlying the state of revelation of the purpose of God to the believer who has received that revelation. So you find that I'm given a word, Richard, you're going to be a very successful businessman. But you find that I have only heard it as if an, a man was telling me so. So technically that word is not yet rema to me. It's still written word. It's just like any other book or any other combination of words in my life. Until I begin to ask, from where is God speaking? And to whom is he addressing? Because where God speaks from, you are already established. That's why there's the doctrine of predestination, foundation class, where there are the elect and there are the damned. Because from where he's speaking, everything is already done. So because of that doctrine of predestination, when he speaks to you, you have to ask yourself, okay, where I am right now, I am X years old. So my X years old has X years behind me and X years in front of me. What version of myself was God speaking to? I want you to begin to, to understand that whenever you hit a ceiling in your spiritual walk, it's because you're operating in a band of fulfillment of God's will, which is called good goodwill or even acceptable will. Acceptable will also has a, a ceiling. But perfect will is where you enter 
the realms of the heavens, where you stretch out understanding until the heavens merge with eternity. So when these people are attempting to separate God's purpose from his nature, they are trying to fulfill God's purpose for their own benefit. You see, when you, when you try and only handle God's purpose and leave his nature, you understand that the glory will come to you. Because for God's purpose to be truly fulfilled in your life, you need the backing of his nature. So much so that by the time it is fulfilled, you understand that there is a power that was working in you that makes you testify as Apostle Paul that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Understand that God's nature is the backing. It's the power of his purpose. So when you try and separate God's purpose from his righteous requirements in as far as his nature is concerned, you are trying to fulfill his purpose for your glory. You're trying to profit from God's glory. And you and your father, the devil, are not different. There is a prophetic purpose of process in as much as purpose is concerned. Because you find that process will cause you to constantly grow in the fulfillment of God's purpose with your assimilation or your transformation into God's nature. God designed the fulfillment of your purpose in a dual technology, where as you grow in a constant fulfillment of his purpose, you will grow in a constant assimilation into his nature. And this is what Enoch understood. He understood it so well, he completely became translated. You know, I was doing a study about the, the dual technologies, back-end and front-end of, of a lot of things. And uh, I realized that there's a lot of reality in as far as what back end is and what front end is. Enoch went to the back end of death and he became translated to God. And that's a someone for another day, how translation and death are linked together in a back end and front end uh, measure. But that is not what we are here for today. So if you are only trying to fulfill God's purpose without he being a uh, transformed into his nature, understand that it is because there's something intrinsic within you. You know, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says that your heart is wicked, desperately wicked. It's desperately wicked. So that means that there's something that is always within you that you need to address. That's why Romans 7 was, was, was written to us. There is an affront to your nature whenever you find that God's nature is always clashing with what you are wanting. When, when you find that you're, you're waging war with the purpose of God, it's, because, it's not because of the facts of the purpose. It's because of the conflict of the nature. Whenever you're waging war with the purpose of God, it's never because of the facts of the purpose. It's not because of a businessman or whatsoever your purpose is. It's because of the conflicts of the nature. There is a challenge with a nature that you have that is resisting a nature within the configuration of God's purpose over your life. That is why most often than not, God will introduce the cross before you begin to progress in the fulfillment of his purpose. Whenever you hear a word, you find that your circumstance will immediately shift to a state of your lowering so that he may increase. And if he constantly increases in the progression of your life, you'll find that you will be testified of as David, which is a man who fulfilled God's purpose for his generation and he rested with his fathers. That is a sermon for another day. There is an attempt also by people who try to separate God's nature from his purpose. 
These are people who have a problem with how the purpose came to them. It did not suit their 2030 vision, 2030 goals. So because these people encountered God's purpose in a conflictory expression, they decide, I will not engage with the purpose of God. I will engage with his nature. And the more and more they engaged with the nature of God, the more and more they realized that they are being frustrated. Why are, why are they being frustrated? Because the nature of God exists in such a perfect state that there are even frequencies of your access to his nature. But the very basic frequency occurs as a result of the saving grace of Jesus Christ to the entire world. Because Christ died for the sins of the world, past, present, and future, it therefore meant that everyone has a chance to begin to access God's nature. So do not lie to yourself that it is your merit that has caused you to access God's nature. No, it is Christ's vicarious work at his cross, at the cross of Christ, that caused every person from the Muslim that lives next to me, from the Indian who lives next to Akina, I don't know who lives in Parklands, but if you have an Indian neighbor from that Indian to any Freemason who lives next to a bishop, those people can be able to repent as long as they submit and die at the cross of Christ. And that is common for everyone. Everyone can repent. So if you're not doing evangelism because you have already chosen that so-and-so is not going to repent, you are wicked and ignorant. The other thing about evangelism, perhaps I should just segue into, is that evangelism is not a microwave thing. How God has structured my life, I'll just give a brief testimony about evangelism, is that God, the, the fastest way, the fastest time I've ever experienced uh, change in an individual I'm engaging is two years. Two years. And you know, based on assignment, it can be even longer. So you require a certain level of conviction that transcends your idea of evangelism. Where you're doing this, not because you, you need to you know, add certain qualifications to your Christian CV. That is not why. Whenever you evangelize, it is because you have the love of God within you. So if you are not evangelizing because of the love of God, like you are looking at someone and you can honestly see that this person is headed for damnation with no other outlet. Then you begin to trust the spirit of God to teach you about this person and begin to engage them based on where they are. Because for God to engage you, he did look at where you are. That's why you're saved. So I want you to just trust the spirit of God to reintroduce evangelism to you. Because our approach of evangelism, it, it, is, it does not mirror the purpose of God. Because the purpose of God is progressive and constant throughout all generations. But evangelism are just a few sparks. If, if a graph was to be drawn from eternity, you'd find that uh, after so-and-so had a someone went to the streets and evangelized to 50 people. Those 50 people, where are they now? Which churches are they? Have you been doing follow-up? Bishop taught us about evangelism and follow-up. Have you done home visits? Have you found out where they are and how they can be engaged? You know, that's evangelism, guys. But back to the sermon. 
There are those that attempt to separate God's nature from his purpose because they have a problem with the purpose of God. So because they have a problem with the purpose of God, they try to engage the nature. But they engage the nature based on just the common reality, which is the place where Christ died for everyone. So as they engage God's nature based on that common reality, they get frustrated because, you know, understand common grace has a ceiling. You can only get until this place. So for them to grow past that, they need to understand why God's purpose about their life had that detail, had that expression, had that engagement. So these people often get frustrated and live their lives in an increased state of darkness. And in this increased state of darkness, you find that they are constantly groping as if someone was trying to look for something in the middle of the night. Because without the revelation of God's purpose, creation cannot be. You understand that Genesis 1 verse 3, when God said, let there be light, he introduced his person and he backed and he expressed his his person through his purpose. So his purpose is a revelation of his nature, of his person and his purpose. It's like trying to write without a surface or a place to write, even if you're writing in the air. It's like trying to write without air or trying to write without a piece of paper. Creation cannot exist without purpose. And purpose cannot be there without the nature, the divine nature of God. So after that introduction, I'd like to speak about light and water. My sermon today is on light and water. So you find that that foundation was critical and the result, the, the reason behind that foundation is because light and water are very unique spiritual elements that we often confuse with created light and filtered water. Um, light and water are very unique. They are very unique spiritual elements. So turn with me to Genesis chapter one, verse three through to four. Genesis chapter one, verse three to four. If you're still with me, please give me thumbs up. If you have gone to grab a bite, you can give me some clapping hands. Uh, (laughs) Okay, all right. Maybe the clapping hands are on page two. (laughs) Anyway, Genesis chapter one, verse three to four. I will be reading now from the New King James Version. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Now, the journey we are about to take concerning light will have a lot of scripture reference. So I want you to just flow with me from wherever you are and whichever context that you find yourself in. Understand that it is not me who is speaking to you. It is the Spirit of God the spirit of the most high God. So starting, there are two realms of light. There is the uncreated light and there is the created light. Genesis chapter one, verse three, two to four is the uncreated light. Now Genesis chapter one, verse 14 through to 19 is created light in the context of creation. And this is what it says. I'll only read verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. 
and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. So uncreated light is a realm that exists and will continue to exist even when earth and heaven are done away with, according to revelations. It is a realm of continuous light. And if you are, if you are very physical in your thinking, the first question you should have asked yourself in the creation story is how could God create everything from verse 1 through to verse 14 without light? Was he creating, was he creating in darkness? If, if you are very physical in, in the way you look at light. Because you understand that the created light had a purpose. The created light was for signs and seasons. It was for days and for years. And it was for lighting the earth. So before verse 14, there was no light. And if I may just continue to light physical light, there was no physical light. And if I may just continue to mess up your theology, understand that there is another mystery in Genesis chapter 2. I won't read it because of time. I can see that time is really flying. Genesis chapter 2 teaches you that um, it says that God rested, and after he rested, uh, the earth was still bare. So how can the earth still be bare if Genesis 1 occurred? And then it says why. It says because there was no, there was no rain, number one, water, and number two, no man to till the ground. So you have to understand everything from Genesis chapter 1 through to verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 10 occurred with the overlap between heaven and earth. So everything that was declared was made manifest until God created dry earth. Because dry earth revealed the realm of man. And just in the same way that God does not do anything on earth before informing his servants, the prophets, is the same way everything that came from verse 11 onwards required a man to till the ground because that was the designated and consecrated realm of man. You will also understand why water consecrates. Because until the earth, the water was gathered together in a dimension known as seas, and dry land appeared, everything that God was doing was made manifest on earth. And that's why today's psalm will be very interesting. Uncreated light. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14 through to 16. It says this, I will be reading from the New King James Version, that if you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and the only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in an approachable light whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power, amen. Now we realize something about an approachable light. Creation cannot see an approachable light. This scripture says, whom no man has seen or can see. The only way to perceive the Father is through Christ. And the only way to submit to Christ is through his church. But you see, his church is a vine. It's a vine of lineages. So if you're not in a lineage... You're not in Christ. Can you imagine? Because you have, you know, the beauty of the vine is that you're constantly receiving nutrients from the very core, which is Christ. And Christ will always teach you the change of frequency. 
He will teach you the change of language. He will teach you the shifts in the move of God. I want us all to mute our microphones. Let us all mute our microphones. Can you do so? So as this does occur, you have to understand that the spirit of God is what will constantly configure you to always perceive what you need for your season. And that is why the realm of unapproachable light, according to 1 Timothy 6, verse 14 through to 16, no man, no creation can ever behold. No small wonder that they that guard the presence of God cover their eyes and their feet. But that is something else. Another thing about un uncreated light, there is what you call unapproachable light. And then there is something called uh, the revelation of uncreated light. Now, this is seen in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. I want you to just turn there. We've already read one, which is uh, Genesis 1, verse 3 to 4. But 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then I want to ask to turn to John chapter 1, verse 5. And then it says, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So the revelation of uncreated light as seen in these three scriptures, which is Genesis 1, 3 to 4, John 1, 5, and 1 John 1, 5, you find that as this uncreated light is being revealed, it is the context for the revelation of man. Because uncreated light gives insight and perception to every reality that comes thereafter. Just like whenever you want to see in a room, you put on a light. Now use the same analogy, only now with uncreated light, not physical light. The last uh, segment of created light, we've already talked about uh, the signs and seasons, days and years, uh, and for lighting the earth. The last context for created light is light in man. Light's configuration in man. And this we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 14. I will read from the New King James Version. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 14. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I myself perceive that the same event happens to them all. I will also read Luke chapter 11, verse 34 through to 35. Luke chapter 11, verse 34 through to 35. New King James Version. Therefore, sorry, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is also full of darkness. There is a light configuration in man for his revelation. We note that everything that we have had or understood about light thus far has skewed our perception to uncreated light. And as a church, we are being called within the body of Christ. And the body of Christ exists in a corporate entity that is joined to Christ that perceives uncreated light. So whatsoever we have heard about light within you as knowledge, I want you to completely discard it and begin to trust God for a new revelation of light. 
in as far as his scriptures. Because you understand the importance of Romans 12 verse 2. If you're conformed to this world, your perceptions of scriptures will be based on the ceiling of the understanding of this world. That is why understanding is a metric not of this world, nor of this earth, but is a metric of the heavens. Let's continue. Genesis 1 verse 6 through to 8. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. I want you to understand that there are three realities that have been revealed in this scripture. And this is the foundation that we spoke about. There is the waters under the firmament, there is the firmament, and then there are the waters above the firmament. The waters under the firmament is common, com common grace, com commonality, goodwill. The firmament represents morality, the height of man's expression without God. And the waters above the firmament express established truth, which is perfect will. There are instances in the Bible when God would say something like, the heavens dropped and the clouds dropped water. The one I'm thinking of specifically is in Judges chapter 5. So these were instances when there was a portal that was created between heaven and earth, just as it was in the days of Eden. And that portal was an overlay of two realities. And in that overlay of two realities, your understanding has to completely shift because what was conformed to the world cannot exist within a portal that is overlaid by a reality in heaven. The lights in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 through to 19 that we read were placed in the firmament, which means that the greatest glory in signs and seasons understanding, whether you're a believer or not, is morality. Across all expressions of belief, whether it is Christian, Muslim, uh, Indian, the reader or designer of the times will at best create an accepted moral system. But if history has taught us anything, you find that most moral systems created by the most designing of us did not last past their context of revelation. And how do I know this? Most civilizations were backed by moral systems. The Greeks developed a moral system called democracy based on their way of thought and their understanding of times and seasons. That did not last very long. It, democracy is not the highest rule. If you, if you want to argue with me, there is a, a segment of us that we are currently engaging called the industry review. Uh, that is a context. It's currently full, but uh, we can look into it after three months. Second one is Romans. They had what you call cultural supremacy. They say that as Romans, we are better and more advanced than the Saxons, who later on became the Englishmen and uh, the Germanic tribes. You can imagine that there was a time Germans and the British were Washamba, and the Roman culture was the most supreme. 
And then the third one is the French. Their morality was based on uh, royalty, where the royal upper class were entitled to excesses in life, and the lower lower class and the and the lower classes were not entitled to anything. They were just to do menial jobs. And then came the British in the advent of the 18th, 17th, and 18th century when they introduced what we now understand as the unfettered influence of the crown through their colonies, they completely influenced how they live and express themselves to date. And then there is this recent one, which we are calling uh, America our, our, our season superpower. You see, America has a very hypocritical society because as they fled from Europe, they fled because they say that they did not have access to food, they did not have access to jobs. Uh, that's why America was called the land of opportunity. So technically they were slaves in their own land. And because they had a revolution of slavery or they were slaves in their own land, they did not come to America so that they can fully abolish slavery. Instead, America became one of the largest consumers of uh, African slaves and other slaves across the globe. Freedom was their morality, but it was not true freedom because it was an excuse for redefined slavery. And much like these preceding civilizations, whatsoever moral code you have developed is as frail as the breath of man. Understand that morality has a ceiling. But you as man are configured to work within a higher realm that is the perfect will of God. I realize that uh, I have flooded us with a lot of... Uh, of information and uh, based on the discernment I am currently gauging across a cross-section of us, I realize that some of us cannot be able to take on more. So I will beg to stop my sermon at that juncture. If you enjoyed that sermon, please subscribe to our podcast. And to get more of our resources, go to onedesire.co.ke.